0: Welcome to CIFART's Workplace Class Action Litigation Trends mini series, a series of four episodes in which we provide an analysis of 2020 class action decisions and emerging trends in 2021. All content in this series has been sourced from the 17th Annual Workplace Class Action Litigation Report Book Launch event held in February of 2021. Over the course of this series, the report's author, Gerald Jerry Matman, Jr., will discuss the five most notable trends in the workplace class action space. Jerry is one of CIFARP's preeminent class action litigators, co-chair of our Class Action Litigation Practice Group, and the editor of the Workplace Class Action Litigation Report, which is recognized as the nation's most complete guide to workplace-related complex litigation. In our third episode, Jerry explains how, somewhat counterintuitively, the aggregate monetary value of workplace class action settlements increased in 2020, as settlement numbers went up and plaintiff lawyers and government enforcement actions monetized their claims at higher rates. Many employers and commentators alike expected the pandemic to depress the size and pace of settlements in the new cash-is-king approach to the business cycle. Instead, workplace class action litigation defied the odds.
1: The next trend that I thought was telling and completely counterintuitive was the increase in class action settlement numbers. And so for 17 years, the second chapter of our book does the study of settlement trends and the top ten settlements in five areas, and those include employment discrimination class actions, wage and hour cases, uh, ERISA cases involving pension, Uh, government enforcement lawsuits, such as the lawsuits that Keith talked about that the EEOC or the Department of Labor would bring, and then a miscellaneous category called uh, statutory claims, such as uh, the Fair Credit Reporting Act or workplace arbitration agreements. Uh, I, for one, thought when COVID attached and uh, the economy began to migrate, uh, some say shut down around March, and workers were being laid off and people were told to work at home, that uh, settlement numbers would fall through the floor and that uh, the cash, uh, the notion that cash was king, companies needed to preserve it, to be able to preserve their operations, preserve jobs, preserve their market share. Um, The prognostication was um, settlements would go way down. Well, actually settlements went up uh, and I thought that to be a rather stunning development. They increased from $1.34 billion to $1.58 billion, uh, which was the third year in a row they rose after uh, 2017 when they hit a high watermark at $2.72 billion. And uh, I think the slide or two before, I said that uh, the White House matters and Supreme Court cases matters. Well, I think EPIC systems being decided in 2018 is one of the reasons why the numbers were lower in the last three years than they were in 2017 because employers could rely upon the EPIC defense to the extent they had workplace arbitration agreements and reduce their risks, fracture class actions, devalue them, and then be able to settle them at less dollars. So. Um, Uh, Votes in the Supreme Court in a 5 to 4 case can have uh, extreme consequences as they play out and as the playing field uh, changes uh, in terms of the way in which these cases are prosecuted, defended, uh, and then resolved. In terms of behind the numbers, as Keith had indicated, government enforcement litigation yield uh, on the settlement uh, front was way up. The same was true for uh, ERISA. It was down a little bit for wage and hour and statutory uh, settlements, but it was way up on employment discrimination in the next couple slides. I'd like to walk through that and explain that. The next slide shows uh, the settlements broken out by number, and I think that knowing what cases settle is important because, in uh, my experience, success begets copycats and big settlements tend to prompt other lawyers to sit up and take notice in the plaintiff's bar and to begin to pursue those sorts of theories. And so uh, what we saw this year was uh, an increasing number of ERISA settlements and uh, employment discrimination uh, matters. Now, these cases obviously were cases in the pipeline. Cases don't settle on day one after they're filed. Uh, But nevertheless, it's a good barometer of where the plaintiff's bar is, where they're investing their time and effort, and where they're getting their yields or what I call monetizing their case. The process of filing the complaint, litigating it, and then monetizing it in terms of the type of reward or return that they will get. So the next one takes a look just at employment discrimination cases. And of all the five areas we look at, here's where the most change has occurred. And 2020 was a banner year. I think one of the things to think about is the uh, Me Too movement, social media, Black Lives Matter, and how uh, devastating, how damaging it can be to a corporation's brand uh, to be tagged in an employment discrimination area where the claim or the theory of the case is that people in protected category groups are treated um, in a negative fashion. And this seems to be a hot button issue where the big numbers uh, come and where they're driven. But that changes. If you look at 2012, uh, the lowest number uh, ever uh, since that time, it was right after the famous Dukes v. Walmart decision in 2011 that raised the standards, made it much more difficult for plaintiffs to certify employment discrimination related class actions. And employers obviously could take advantage of that, flex their muscles, and to be able to settle cases that prior to that decision would have been worth much, much more. And as you follow the bar and the graph, what you see is the plaintiff's attorney, being nothing if not innovative and creative, found ways to work around uh, Dukes to get higher numbers for the cases. And then a crash again in 2016, which I would attribute to a a case called Comcast that was decided about that time that uh, tagged along was another bookend to the Walmart decision that again made it tougher for plaintiff's attorneys to certify their cases or monetize them. And then they worked around that again in 2017 and then 2018 and crashed again. And I would attribute that to to Epic systems, and yet in 2020, our COVID year, when businesses are shut down, when people are losing jobs, uh, I think that social media trend uh, immediately uh, shined the spotlight on these sorts of cases, made them worth more money, made them more dangerous to try in front of juries, uh, and increased the value of those cases. So, again, uh, Supreme Court cases, developments in our society are. Uh, significant drivers in terms of the value of these cases. Um, The last one I wanted to look at was wage and hour. One slide back, um, if we can go backwards right here, um, the numbers are a little bit up and down. They were down this year, but another way to look at this is the pipeline. There are more wage and hour cases in the federal court system than any other type of workplace class action or employment-related claim. Um, in essence, about one out of five lawsuits filed in federal court are employment-related, and a good 80 to 85 percent of those cases are wage and hour cases, and a high percentage of those cases are class actions. And so we certainly saw a lot of $1 million to $2 million settlements that didn't even come close to our top 10 list, and so there's a lot of money being focused, made, uh, taken by the plaintiff's bar in this particular area, and as I conclude my presentation, we'll talk about what this means for employers and what you ought to do.
0: This concludes Episode 3 of Cypress Workplace Class Action Litigation Trends mini-series. Thank you for listening. Be sure to listen to the other episodes in our series for more important information regarding workplace class action litigation trends. These episodes and other important updates can be found in the News and Insights section of Cypherx.com.